This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Good afternoon to you. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, representing Transitions Life Care. Mary, how are you doing today? Doing well. My gladiolas are coming up. All my bulbs are blooming. and they're, Everything's coming out of the ground, and I'm scared every time they're like frost warning potential. And I'm like, oh, here we go again. Um, so I'm, I'm protecting what's blooming right now is my, is my, uh, my deal on the weekends. <laughs> yeah, it is strange how the, the cold weather always seems to come on the weekend. Yeah. But. Um, yeah, you've uh, you've had your work cut out for you in that respect. I, I guess. have. I, I've given up the vegetables this year. I decided going to the farmers market is a little bit better of a plan. <laughs> well, you know, the, the gardening's always tricky, but you got to yeah. keep us updated. I want to see some pictures, well. so we'll, maybe we can post those on our social as well. We've got a great show lined up today. Tomorrow is Healthcare Decisions Day, National Healthcare Decisions Day, and we thought it would be. A good time to discuss advanced directives and to have a a thorough discussion on that and what that means. We always are pleased to welcome in a a friend of WPTF and the listening audience, and that is the North Carolina Secretary of State, Elaine Marshall. Secretary Marshall, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm delighted to be here, and we could have a whole session talking about gardening. I like to do I've given up on vegetables, but I'm fighting critters in my flower garden. Oh, no. I'm on the war path a little bit. (laughs) I I had that path for a little bit, and then I put a gate up. I was like, I'm done with this. (laughs) Well, I think mine's voles or moles or something like that. Oh, yeah. The digging kind. So, yeah, right. (laughs) Well, I'm really excited. It's not one kind, it's another. It's been deer before, so, you know. Yep, that's exactly right. Well, we're really excited to have you on today to celebrate National Healthcare Decisions Day on April 16th. And, you know, this is a year-round topic, though, and, and something that, unfortunately, many people wait till it's an emergency or a crisis to, to think about or even talk about. Um, and it's also a really hard topic to talk about for some people with their families and with their loved ones to talk about um, what is an advanced healthcare directive and, and what does it mean to you. So, Secretary Marshall, maybe we start there. What are advanced health care directives? Well, let me just ditto what you've said. This mm-hmm. is not not just a thing for the 16th of April. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is something that families need to think about all the time. But I'm glad we do have this day that brings it more to the forefront for folks to begin to think in their head about this day, about having this conversation Advanced health care directives, to answer your questions, are legal documents that allow you to give written instructions about your health for a time when you can't speak for yourself. And I think all of us know of people and families who have a situation where some something really bad, either from illness or accident, has happened, and then the family's got to make some decisions. Mm-hmm. The Secretary of State's office maintains a secure online registry for these advanced healthcare directives that doctors and hospitals know all about to help assure that your directives can be accessed real quickly if it really is that time of need. Mm-hmm. You know, I when you say 
you know, when you when you can't speak or, or say for yourself what you want. I think that that was unfortunately a reality that many faced through uh, COVID. We're coming up again, uh, on the end of the emergency um, for COVID here in May, which um, feels crazy that it's been that long since we've been going through COVID. But I think that this was a reality that many were faced with. And it, it's something that you don't think that you need to talk about or do until it is that reality. Um, so you mentioned legal; these are legal documents. What are some of the types of advanced healthcare directives um, that exist? Well, there are four types uh, that can be filled out on the registry. One is a healthcare power of attorney. The next one is a declaration of a desire for a natural death or commonly called living will. The next one is an advanced instruction for mental health treatment. And the last one is declaration of an anatomical gift or organ or tissue donor. Um, if you look at it, the, the, we have two of them that are powers of attorney. One is a health care power of attorney. The other is like a mental health power of attorney. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the living will, and then you've got the donor. So if you want to boil it down without its official titles, that's what they are, the four are. Okay, and diving in a little bit there, what is the the what are the power of attorney ones, and what's the difference between the other two? Yep, I'm I'm so glad you're asking that question. <clears throat> a healthcare power of attorney allows you to designate someone to make healthcare decisions for you, if and when you're unable to make those decisions for yourself at some point. Now, this document has to be witnessed and notarized when you're signing the document. Uh, the idea about this is that you do this when you're of clear thinking, not under a time of stress, uh, when you've thought out these things and you can appoint who you think would uh, you give your instructions to or best represent your interests. Mm -hmm. uh, the second one is a declaration for natural death or that living will, and it allows you to state that you have a desire for a natural death versus extraordinary measures being taken to keep you alive. This would be in cases where there's a dire set of conditions due to some terminal or incurable illness and you're in a vegetative state. Uh, this document also must be witnessed and notarized. The mental health power of attorney, its official title is Advanced Instruction for Mental Health Treatment, allows you again to give instructions and information and preferences about mental health treatment that you need uh, if the need arises. Uh, and you appoint somebody to help do that. Uh, this directive also needs to be witnessed and notarized. Then the last one is the tissue donor thing. Um, a lot of you may have a little heart on your driver's license if you checked if you wanted to be a donor when you got your license. But this is something that's even a higher level of that, if you will. You file this directive if you want to make sure your preferences to be a donor is known. Unlike other directives, the organ and tissue donor card does not have to be notarized, but it does require a signature and two witnesses. Now, some people say, you know, isn't that thing on the driver's license okay, legally binding? It is. And then they may ask, why would you want this other? Um, anecdotally, um, there have been reports that uh, family members, close family members, have somewhat objected to the fact that it's done by this little driver's license because they know that you sort of, you know, you're trying to get your driver's license, you're trying to get out of there, and you go, yeah, 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 you know, all that kind of stuff. You do it in haste somewhat. 
whereas this then is a written, you don't sign anything with that driver's license. This is something that will have your signature on it that's been mm -hmm. witnessed, you know, so it does, it adds extra weight mm -hmm. when hospitals who are risk averse, um, um, you know, get that higher level of assurance that this is clearly what you wanted. And it provides comfort to your family members to know that maybe you've never said, I want to be an organ donor, but in your heart, you know that you do. And this is an affirmative uh, uh, written affirmation witness that, yes, that's what you want to do. So it helps with family um, feelings and emotions at a time when stress and emotions are very, very high. Um, so you know, it, it just helps your family in so many ways. That's that is great information. And quickly before we go to break, I you know you, you mentioned when stress is high, it's very hard for families. Something that I found interesting recently, and uh, talking to people about healthcare power of attorneys is it's not always your family. It doesn't always have to be your family because is your family in the time of stress they love you so much? Are they going to be able to follow through on what what you want for for your healthcare decisions? And I, I found that very interesting and had a long conversation with somebody about it who had chosen a friend who knew what she wanted and would easily be able to um, to to take care of that if that time came about. So I thought that that was a very interesting um, uh, note on the healthcare power of attorney. Right. And it's totally accurate. You could, uh, your best friend from high school that you've been through everything with and you trust implicitly, it maybe could be your personal mentor, maybe it could be your pastor. Um, you know, uh, it, it could be any variety of people. Now, you, you need to be asking them, are they willing to serve in this capacity uh, to have that, you know, official uh, bond between uh, you and the person, uh, because that's not a kind of thing that you ought to surprise somebody mm -hmm. with. <laughs> that's not a surprise that anyone wants. Uh, but it, it is a serious conversation that you do need to have on the front end. And this is always a good reminder to, to have those conversations and to think these things out, because it is very helpful for those who are put in that role. We're speaking with North Carolina Secretary of State Elaine Marshall discussing advanced directives and National Health Care Decisions Day. And we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. If you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, you can go online to transitionslifecare.org. Transitionslifecare.org. There's so many resources available for you. If that is a need, go to transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. Our guest on the line is the North Carolina Secretary of State. Elaine Marshall is with us, and we're discussing advanced directives in advance of National Health Care Decisions Day. But as we said earlier in the show, Mary, uh, th this should be a year-long mm -hmm. conversation and topic for us because um, 
you don't want to wait too late. Once you're in a situation where you've got to start uh, needing these documents, it's, it's probably a little too late. So having that on a discussion on the front end is really key. I agree. And I think moving in through the show, let's talk a little bit more about submitting the paperwork, where you can submit it to, et cetera. So, uh, Secretary Marshall, is there anything special that must be done? We've talked about the healthcare power of attorney, the living will, the advanced instruction for mental health treatment, and declaration of an anatomical gift. Is there anything special that must be done before submitting any of this paperwork? Well, yes, there is. Um, and let me tell folks you need to go to sosnc.gov and go to advanced healthcare, and that will get you there. Uh, there's a bar on the top that has A to Z. If you just hit A and put down advanced, it'll get you there. Um, and let me say that the forms have been worked out between the medical society and the bar, um, mm. the, the lawyers of the state, and are the legally preferred ones for North Carolina. Uh, people that have directives from another state, it it, it, is, it is good. It can be used here. But our hospitals and our doctors are more accustomed to seeing the kind that have been put in the statute, the kind that we have up on the forms. So uh, people may want to just get another one done in the North Carolina style, or they can compare their state style. And if it's basically the same thing, you know, uh, it's, it's going to be valid. Now, uh, we cannot give people legal advice here at the Secretary of State's office. So, um, we, we can help you answer questions about mm -hmm. a form, but we can't really tell you what's best for you, that's for sure. And um, some people choose to consult an attorney to have these directives drawn up. Um, I'm not saying that's essential, but I, I do believe a conversation with your family is essential so that they understand what, what, what your real wishes are. Uh, some people may want to talk to their physician uh, as they're deciding what their wishes are. Now, here's where people run into a sticky point. They will put this directive in their safe deposit box. Mm. That's probably one of the world's worst places to put it. <laughs> it's highly secure, but it's not accessible. Mm -hmm. Or they want to leave it with their lawyer. Horror of all horrors, as a practicing lawyer, I never wanted to keep anybody's uh, personal papers mm -hmm. uh, because uh, let's say the lawyer's on vacation and you need to get at them, or it's the weekend. You certainly can't get into the bank. Mm -hmm. um, Putting it in a safe deposit or a safety uh, at your house, fireproof box or a safe, again, is not a good idea unless a lot of your family members have the code to get into it. So this um, registry that we have kind of avoids all of that problem. It's a safe, secure registry, uh, separate and apart from our other databases here. The need for these directives are going to come up in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. They're going to come up where your family's dealing with a doctor that you have never heard of before. Uh, it could happen that you're on a trip to Asheville and, you know, you've never had a Nashville doctor and, you know, uh, something has happened. And, you know, it, it's just the circumstances are never good mm -hmm. and they're frequently not very convenient. So um, having these the hospitals know where to find these. Mm -hmm. Now, when you submit to us, we will give you a password and a file number. This is not like your computer that you want to keep secret. Put it on your refrigerator. Mm -hmm. Give it to that best buddy. Uh, let your circle know, your bridge club know, uh, you know, whomever is important to you to know that you've done it and where the passcode can be found. 
Um, refrigerators are a great place to put up children's art, but it's also a good place where everybody can say, hmm, I know where that is, and they can go get it. Um, now, what you do is you print off the form uh, from the um, our, our, our website, and then you submit the registration form for the directive to be filed. There is a $10 fee for each directive you want to have filed in the registry because this is a self-funded program. That's how the General Assembly said it had to be. Uh, you mail the documents and the filing fee to uh, us. Um, the address is up there. I can give it to you, but it's online. Post Office Box 29622, Raleigh, North Carolina, 27626. But it's probably easier to find it online. So that's, that's the process for filing. Mm -hmm. So say you filed and, you know, it's it's been a couple years. Can you ever change your mind and go back and refile or cancel what you've got? Can you can you make edits? You certainly can. You certainly can. Uh, you can go ahead and do a totally different one or you can do an edit to one. Uh, you can revoke your directive. Let's say the person you appointed uh, no longer lives in North Carolina, maybe is no longer living themselves. Uh, there is no fee for revocation. You just fill out a removal form from the site, have it notarized, and uh, the revocation has to be from the person who submitted uh, to the department. So it, it can't be somebody else. Then you say, send that removal form to us um, at the post office box, and we'll, we'll take your documents off of the registry. So if you want to put new ones back up, you reverse that first process, and there is another filing fee of $10 uh, to do it. But uh, that's a very, very inexpensive insurance policy to have them available. Absolutely. I think you brought up a really good point, and it, and it kind of jogged my memory. My grandmother ended up in the hospital uh, a while back. She's She has since passed, but she ended up in the hospital, and my grandpa was like, well, we need to go get the – we need to go get the files out of the bank. And my dad was like, what? We got to go to the bank? And we're sitting in the hospital. My dad had to take my grandfather to the safety deposit box to get a whole bunch of stuff out of it. And my dad was like, this is so inconvenient. Um, and you right. know, the timing is so bad. And, I, and many of these decisions are sadly made during these most stressful times and emergency situations. Is there anything that you'd like to share with our listeners about how to better plan or when is the best time to have these conversations? conversations to avoid kind of that chaos. Well, let me let me back up on another thought before we get to that. There's nothing wrong with photocopying what you filed here <laughs> and give it to the people. You know, uh, the hospital will mm -hmm. want to look at it for sure, you know, to make sure it's right. But that's a starting point. Right. Um, you know, give it, give it, give it to your doctor, give it to your adult children. Um, you know, you might carry it in your purse if you're a woman and have a huge purse like I do. That's not really always practical. But, um, you know, something in your wallet that would have the pass number because um, if you're in a serious accident, you know, they're going to look at your wallet uh, to see who you are and do you have health cards and all that kind of stuff. So you could put, put something in your wallet with your passcode and your ID um, so, that, so that people know. Um, the time to have these conversations is whenever people get together, whenever you're talking about family, um, uh, we've had a lot of holidays here. I just had a delightful uh, Easter with my family. Uh, you sit around and you talk about everything. But also there are times when people get discouraging news from their doctors 
and they kind of have a family time to talk about that and spread the word that there's been a change of condition. If uh, documents have not been prepared, that might be a time to do it. Now you're, you're getting on a stress curve at those times. So um, it's just better to do it when there's no pending need. And I know people are reluctant about that. They think it's bad luck or what have you, but um, you know, uh, it needs to be done. It's it's a gift of love that you give to your family. Mm-hmm. We always feel like there's more time, and you know that's not going to happen anytime soon. But it's always good to have that preparation done on the front end. Secretary Marshall, SOSNC.gov is that the best place for us to go? That's correct. SOSNC.gov. Excellent. On the main menu there, there's the topics category. Click on that, and it shows A through Z, and Advanced Directives is right under A, so it's clearly there at the top of the page. Secretary Marshall, thank you so much for your time and for your expertise today. We always appreciate you coming on the station. Thank you. We are going to take a quick break, but we'll be back with more. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. We want to Thanks, Secretary Marshall, for her time with us earlier on the show. And we're now going to shift focus a little bit. You know, as we said, tomorrow is National Healthcare Decisions Day. But uh, this is also uh, National Volunteer Week, Mary. It's something that we want to highlight as well. So exciting. I, our volunteers are a huge part of what we do at Transitions Life Care, and um, I think it's great that we're able to celebrate them for the week, for the month, for the year, always. Like Healthcare Decisions Day, same thing. You know, we celebrate our volunteers all, all year long. They, they help us um, do and carry out our mission, which is, which is awesome. It's uh, an incredible and a notable thing to mm-hmm. do. So we are pleased to welcome onto the show right now, Leah Rosen. Leah is the volunteer services team leader with Transitions Life Care. And Leah, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, both of you. I'm thrilled to be here. This is something near and dear to me. I, after my grandmother passed away at Transitions on our hospice services, I I started volunteering, and I, I know the importance from my personal experience and, and being at the hospice home, but also you know, being able to volunteer before I actually became an employee at Transitions really brought me super close to the mission and being able to help uh, our patients and families. And I'm, I'm really excited about this episode and to celebrate Volunteer Week. Uh, so Leah, why, I, I know the answer and I know so many people who have experienced it may as well, but why are volunteers so important to Transitions and other hospice providers in our area? Yeah, that's a great question, Mary, and a great one to start with. Hospice volunteers support Transitions Life Care and, and other hospice providers in many ways. I, you know, I believe strongly that hospice volunteers are essential 
in providing the level of care and support that patients and their loved ones expect when they're on hospice care. They expect to feel supported, and that is the role of the volunteer. The primary goal of a hospice volunteer is to provide empathy and companionship to both the patient and their loved one during difficult times that they may be facing. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the services that are provided for patients and families by volunteers at Transitions? Sure. We have volunteers who do so many different things for our patients and their families. We have volunteers who provide companionship, which can be conversation, bedside presence, engaging in a hobby, something the patient enjoys. We have volunteers who provide respite for the caregivers to give them a break. We know that caregiving is a very, very big job and caregivers deserve and need breaks. We have transportation volunteers who can take our patients or their loved ones here, there, or anywhere they need to be. We have volunteers who provide practical support. That can include light household tasks, organization, running a load of dishes, just making the family and patient feel supported in their own home. And we do have volunteers who are special, specially trained, specialty trained, to provide bedside support for those patients who may be closer to the end of their life. Wow, that's such a, a large breadth of things. I remember when I was volunteering, yeah. I became really close with the family. I, I provided family support a, in someone's home, and um, I went once a week, and it gave the caregiver a chance to go out and do his grocery shopping, and he went to the gym, and he went to church, and um, I I just I felt so close with him, and, and he would always come back, and I'd spend a little extra time talking with him and listening and um, and just and just listening and sitting and being a presence with him, and I, I it was something that was really special to me and, and really and brought me to transitions even closer than I already was after my grandmother passed. But, you know, I, I think that's something that people don't realize when coming on to hospice or considering hospice mm -hmm. is that is a whole another extra support, a level of support for the family beyond just what the patient receives in in our services. Absolutely. We have a we have a volunteer who during football season was going to the patient's home Friday nights so that the caregiver could go to her grandson's football games. So we have volunteers who can do it all. It's really nice. That is awesome. So what other services are provided for patients? I, I, we've talked a little bit about some of the caregiver stuff. You know, um, I want to touch on maybe pet volunteers. It's something that actually came up. I was talking with somebody yesterday, and they were like, I have a dog who's a, um, a therapy dog. Do you guys provide those services? There's some specialty things that exist at Transitions. Can you touch on a few of those? Sure. We do have specialty volunteers. We have pet partners. These are pets that are certified in providing pet therapy and their owner. We call them pet partner teams. They are the most delicious and delightful furry creatures you've ever met in your life. And they provide such a comfort and such a companionship, especially to our patients who have a loving history with their own furry friends. Um, it can be very, very wonderful. We have specialty volunteers who can play an instrument, who can either bring that into the home or into a facility or even into our own hospice home. In our hospice home in particular, we have some specialty volunteers who provide hands-on modalities like Reiki or massage. 
So it's really nice to touch, uh, to touch our patients' lives with complementary therapies and not just family support. So these are wonderful, wonderful volunteers who can provide those services. That's awesome. I, I remember one in particular who visited my grandmother. It was this little teeny tiny dog. I think it was a Yorkie. And he had, he or she had the, the Yorkie had a business card um, and, <laughs> le- and left it on the bedside table when they came to visit. And it was just so sweet. My, my grandmother loved dogs. And so it was just a comfortable presence in the room um, when we had to step out. It, it made us feel like she wasn't alone. Um, it was really, yeah. it was really special. So that's, that's near and dear to me. Um, are you, are <laughs> Are volunteers ever required to help with physical needs for patients? I know that that may be something that turn volunteers away or maybe make someone afraid to volunteer. Is that something that is required? Great question, Mary. I get this question a lot as in volunteer services. I like to say, first of all, that our volunteers can do so much for our patients. They can walk alongside a patient who can ambulate and go for a walk. They can help heat up and serve a meal. They can tidy up the patient's room. Uh, but our volunteers do not provide personal care. So that includes feeding a patient, giving medicines, or providing assistance with personal needs like toileting. Mm. Yes, definitely. So where do yeah. volunteers provide services at? I know that, you know, sometimes people, there's this misconception that hospice is a place. Um, mm-hmm. Is it, you, you've mentioned things in the home, or what other areas, and is that true? It's not just in our hospice home, correct? Yes, that's correct. So volunteers can serve patients, first of all, in any of the eight counties that Transitions Life Care serves. If a patient has a home, we can send a volunteer, and that is a wonderful thing. Some of our patients live in facilities. That might be a skilled nursing facility or an assisted, assisted living or an independent living. Volunteers can go there, too. We also have volunteers in our hospice home, quite a really, uh, just a really wonderful group of folks who are in our hospice home almost seven days a week providing family support. And then we also have volunteers who help out on our main campus. So that can be in our administration building, helping with special events, uh, and doing all kinds of things uh, that support the organization as a whole. So, you know, most places in our community, a volunteer can go. Wonderful. Is what does the time commitment look like to volunteer at transitions? And is there nights and weekends availability that for people who may have a day job? Great question. Sometimes I do have volunteer requests for nights and weekends. I also, uh, you know, we try not to be too strict and tough about a time commitment because I have volunteers who may be able to squeeze in a few hours of volunteering one week, but for a few weeks they need a break for their job. So it just depends. We like to ask our volunteers to be able to commit for a few hours per week or per month if necessary. Perfect. One last question for you. How does someone get involved in volunteering and is there training so that you go in prepared for these sessions? Absolutely. The best way to get involved with volunteering at Transitions Life Care is to fill out an application on our website. That is the number one way to contact us and then we will make sure we always follow up with the interested applicant. And as far as training goes, we are very, very proud to say that we offer and provide a 12-hour training. That doesn't happen all at once. It is spaced out and very digestible. But what it does is it really provides that comprehensive training to a, to a volunteer 
so that they feel armed and ready to be, be able to provide family support. Training includes education about things like grief, about the role of a hospice volunteer. We talk about uh, issues related to diversity, equity, and inclusion so that we make sure our volunteers embrace our patients and families no matter what type of backgrounds they come from. And we always make sure our volunteers are prepared and trained to sit with patients and feel comfortable with patients no matter what stage of their illness journey they are on. Yeah, that's wonderful. And you can find more information by going to transitionslifecare.org on the main menu there. There's a, a, a an item there for volunteer. If you hover over that, you can find the volunteer application. We're speaking with Leah Rosen. She's the volunteer services team leader with Transitions Life Care, and we're going to continue our conversation with her right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. I am Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, it is National Volunteer Week. That is why we are speaking with Leah Rosen. She's the Volunteer Services Team Leader with Transitions Life Care, and we've talked uh, plenty about volunteering and the critical role that that plays at Transitions Life Care, and we've talked about how you can volunteer. You can go to transitionslifecare.org to learn more about that. Uh, Leah, I, I did want to ask you, I, this is just me thinking, and I, I could be wrong here, but uh, I would think the stereotype would be that, you know, maybe with the rise in social media and uh, the, the Internet, that there's a little bit more isolation with younger folks, millennials and Gen Z, and that maybe they don't volunteer as much. Is, is, is that accurate? Is that inaccurate? And is, is that a concern of yours for, you know, making sure that you've got a full pipeline of volunteers 10, 20 years down the road? Yeah, that is a great question, Jason. I appreciate that. I think that, uh, you know, making sure that we are recruiting volunteers from all walks of life and age and demographics is really important to us. We want our volunteer pool to reflect the patients and the families that we serve. And, you know, hospice we, is, is a very supportive service that takes care of patients of all ages. So we want to make sure our volunteers, uh, you know, match that profile. I do think it is really nice to make sure that we have younger volunteers. And so what we always try to do is make sure that we're recruiting on college campuses. We often see volunteers uh, who come from medical programs or pre-med who want to experience hospice work before they embark on a medical career. We last year reached out to the NC State campus and their volunteer fair and were able to reach a few volunteers that way. It it is really, really nice to have volunteers from all walks of life and ages and stages. So we are always, always trying to expand our volunteer pool to make sure that we cover it all and that we have volunteers from all different walks of life. 
That's wonderful to hear. Uh, something that popped into my mind and something that comes up in, in the work that I do and I get asked quite often by friends and family, um, are there opportunities for families or groups uh, to volunteer in any of the services that we provide? Yeah, what a nice question. We do get requests from groups to volunteer at Transitions Life Care. We have, uh, you know, I know you all are very familiar with our inpatient hospice unit. That is sometimes a great place for groups. We'll have groups come in and they'll provide or cook a meal in our kitchen and serve it to patients and families at our hospice home. We have a gardening club who helps keep our campus uh, looking beautiful throughout all four seasons. We have groups that come in from local faith organizations or community organizations, and they might help us or one of our departments with a mailing, stuffing envelopes or helping us with an administrative task. So if we get an, an engaged group of volunteers, we always do our best to try to find a special project for them to help us with. That's awesome. And for those group volunteers, do they have to do uh, the same training process if they're going to do a hospice home meal or gardening work or something like that that's um, more targeted volunteering? They do not. For targeted volunteering that does not involve being with patients and families who are on our hospice service, we keep it very simple. We like to just make sure that you feel engaged and supported while you are completing your volunteer task, but otherwise just some very simple paperwork and done and done. We get you on board very, very quickly. Leah, can you talk a little bit about how this works operationally? Like, let's say, you know, I'm, I'm part of a family or maybe I'm by myself and I'm, I'm in hospice care. Uh, you know, I've, mm -hmm. sometimes that situation can be overwhelming. Uh, well, most times it's probably overwhelming. But, you know, the, I wouldn't be thinking, well, you know, what is available in terms of volunteer services? So how is that conveyed to the families and how do they know everything that's available to them? I love this question. I think I want everyone to know that when a patient enters our Transitions Life Care Hospice Service, it is our job to make sure you as the patient or family know about volunteer services. So we provide that education right off right right at the beginning of your admission onto hospice. It inc that may that education may come from a social worker or one of the admitting nurses. When we talk about all that hospice care includes and the support that it provides, we include volunteer services right alongside that. We make sure that the patient's social worker, sometimes the nurse, has offered those volunteer services at a follow-up visit after the admission. And if a patient or family expresses interest, a request comes straight to the volunteer services department with some background information that will help our volunteer feel prepared to go into that patient's home. And then we take the ball and run. We find a volunteer who is a great match for that patient and family, and we make that, uh, we set them up and get them started on their first volunteer visit. Wow, that's very extensive. So it's very much a, an, a, an involved process in finding the right fit for the family. Absolutely. We have patients who have, might love a particular type of music or a hobby, or they may have a preference for a volunteer who, uh, you know, shares that, that interest. And so we try our best to find a volunteer who meets that profile and will put the patient and family at ease based on those preferences. So we do our best, certainly, to find a volunteer uh, who, who is a great match. 
It's fantastic. We're going to talk a little bit later in the show about respite and what that means, because I feel like not enough caregivers know and understand the value of what respite is and and what that can look like in so many shapes and forms. And um, I think volunteers are such a critical piece of that and, and being able to take a break and, and not feel guilty for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm happy to talk a little bit uh, or as much as you'd like about respite and, and the importance of that service. Yes, please do. I, th- I think that it's, it's so um, unknown. Yeah. Respite is relief. I very simply, you know, I define it very simply and concisely as relief for the caregiver. That can mean a volunteer who comes and sits with the patient while a caregiver goes to the bedroom and takes a nap while they, you know, so they can rest easy knowing that someone is sitting with their loved one, hanging out, maybe talking or just providing quiet bedside presence so they can have a good rest. Respite can look like a volunteer coming into the home and letting the caregiver leave the home. As you mentioned earlier, Mary, getting to the gym or getting to the grocery store. Caregiving is such an intense and emotional and also exhausting task, especially when our loved ones need more care than they once did. And so volunteers play such a crucial role in hospice care by allowing caregivers to be able to take that break. And by the way, at no cost to them volunteer services are free and they are included in your hospice Medicare benefit. And we are really, really proud of that. That's, that is important. Free. Yeah. (laughs) I think everyone is so worried about the cost of healthcare and the hidden cost. And, you know, this is the hospice benefit is part of this, you know, this is included in that benefit. And I, I, I want to reiterate that because there's a lot of misunderstandings out there about hospice. You know, absolutely. Volunteering was some of my. I, I wish I could still do it and had the time to do it. And in addition to my my real job at Transitions, um, it was it was some of the most special times I had in, involved in our services and everything from the family support and the family I worked with to the hospice home and working at the front desk there, which was also. Um, brought me a lot of joy being able to walk people around and um, introduce them to the hospice home when they were getting there for the first time, which can be a very, um, you know, difficult moment and in, in understanding what's happening. And um, it was something that was really special to me to be there at the at the front door and as a volunteer mm. and being able to show people to their room or to show people where the family rooms are and the kitchen is and, you know, and, and just speak to them as their loved one was getting settled in and, and providing them comfort. And it was, it was something that was really, really special to me because I remember walking into the hospice home and, and at that first moment and never had been there before. And, you know, I, I remember that feeling and it, that volunteer, I remember the volunteer that was sitting there and the comfort that she provided. And, and it was just very special job. And I'm so thankful for all the volunteers that it transitions and Leah, you and your team do a wonderful job, um, and, and organizing all of that and making sure that everyone has, uh, the support they need. So I'm, I'm super happy to celebrate volunteer week and (laughs) it is so important to what we do. And Leah, thank you so much for everything that you do as well. Oh, thank you, Mary. I'd just like to say that the the number, you know, the sentiment I hear the most from our volunteers is I get more from this than I feel like I even give. And I, I, I love that. I, that. That is the sentiment that volunteers carry in their hearts when it comes to hospice volunteering. I, get, I feel like I get more than I give and, and how good it feels to help others. So I, I'm happy to be here with you guys today. Thanks for letting me chat. 
Well, we're so happy to have you. She is Leah Rosen, Volunteer Services Team Leader with Transitions Life Care. Again, if you want to become a volunteer or learn more about that process, go to transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. There's a big button on the top of the page that says volunteer, and you can find an application there. And uh, hey, if, if you don't have the time to volunteer, there's also other ways that you can help out. You know, there's an Amazon wish list for those uh, who are interested in helping out with the music and memory unit over at Transitions Life Care. There's, there's lots of opportunities that you can still find ways to volunteer, even if you can't volunteer here with your time. Again, go to transitionslifecare.org to learn more. That's going to do it for us today. On behalf of Mary Lucas, I'm Jason Kong, thanking you so much for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.